Hi everybody, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And this one we're going to be talking about a Scottish missionary to Africa, Mary Slessor. Uh, She's one of the more well-known missionaries. Uh, She was born Mary Mitchell Slessor on December 2nd, 1848 in Aberdeen, Scotland. And this was around the same time that the Calabar Mission was established in Africa. And what's uncanny about this is that later on, Mary is going to be an integral part of that Calabar mission. She's actually going to be known as the Queen of Calabar. Now, I love Mary Slessor for a lot of reasons. She was one of a kind. She was practical. She was realistic. She was passionate. She was complex. And she was fully committed to God. And I don't say that Mary was fearless. Mary was not fearless. Mary experienced fear with a lot of the things that she faced. But that's the thing. Even though she was afraid, she pressed on through. So I think a better word for Mary, instead of fearless, would be courageous. And that's moving on in spite of the fear. So Mary was a highly influential missionary in a very rugged, deadly, and dark area of the world. So as I said, Mary was born in 1848 in Aberdeen, Scotland. And her mother was a very devout Christian who had a strong passion for missions. Now, her mother would read to them out of missionary newsletters that would come out and would talk to them about the world's need for missionaries, at that time never dreaming that her own Mary would grow up to become one of the most famous missionaries. Now, Mary's dad, on the other hand, struggled with alcoholism. He struggled with it very, very much. And the family had to move to Dundee when Mary was 11. And I think part of the reason was that her dad thought if he got away from his friends there in the Aberdeen area that he wouldn't have as much trouble drinking. But things only got worse once they got to Dundee. Her father would take just about all the family's money and would use it for alcohol. And a lot of times Mary would be sent to go pawn the family's clothes in order to get enough money for them just to survive. And they lived in a very tiny, crowded flat. And and this is sad, guys. This is sad. It wasn't unusual for Mary's dad to come home on Saturdays and be so physically abusive to the family, and specifically to Mary, that she many times had to flee to the streets to be safe. In one instance, her dad came home drunk, And her mother set out a plate of food for him. And he took a bite of it, and he took the plate, and he threw it across the room against the opposite wall. And the kids hardly had enough to eat. And Mary was just disgusted that her father would waste that food, that if he didn't want it, he could have at least had the kids, left it for the kids to eat. And she rebuked him. And he came after her, and her mother told her to run. And it it was a very distressing thing. And it was something that Mary was ashamed of for much of her life, ashamed of the fact that her father was an alcoholic. And I think it's too bad that she had to feel shame for that. But that's something that she struggled with. 
Well, Mary and her mom would desperately pray that no one would find out her dad was an alcoholic. So that's where part, I imagine, where that shame continued on. They, and Mary says that she believes it's their prayers that kept people from finding out what her dad was really like and that her dad was an alcoholic. And that had to be so hard for Mary and her mother, both of them very devout Christians, going to church and caught up with missions and praying for missionaries and all of that, and to have her dad in that condition. Well, eventually, Mary's dad passed away, and life became much easier for this lesser family. Now, the fact that Mary's father was an alcoholic shaped, uh, shaped her quite a bit. She had a passionate hatred for liquor because Mary knew firsthand the heartache, the devastation, and the deprivation that can result from it. You would never have convinced Mary Slessor that there was any level of drinking that was acceptable. Now, on the other side of the coin, Mary also developed a deep sympathy and compassion for others. And it's believed this came out of that experience in her childhood. Authors say it was likely the influence behind her that made her such a champion of children and of the oppressed. Now, they also believe that her father's abuse was part of the reason why she was so self-conscious if she ever had to speak in a group that included white males. Now, she didn't have a problem with uh, African males. She didn't have a problem with them in the audience. She didn't have a problem speaking to them or confronting them about things. But when it came to white men, she had a problem. Now, considering how, f how courageous she was with her work in Africa where she would stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with murderous men with murderous intent, you know, and then she would come back to Scotland and refuse to speak because it was a man in the audience because she was upset by that. That goes to show, you know, people are puzzling, and we don't always know the reasons why we do things. But we know that the Lord can help us and can help us overcome anything that comes into our life. Uh, Mary's father's alcoholism did not define who Mary was. The Lord was able to use it to shape her into a loving, compassionate person who fought against trading alcohol to the locals that she was trying to save. Okay, so what our parents do or don't do does not have to define who we are. And I think that's a neat thing. And I think that's something that we can see here in Mary's life. Now, let's talk about how Mary got saved. Uh, she grew up in a slum area and she said that uh, there was an elderly woman who lived nearby. And she always had a fire going in her fireplace in the winter, and she would gather some of the girls in the neighborhood into her home and talk to them. And Mary said she was always happy when she was invited because it was a nice warm place to sit for a little while, and she didn't mind hearing what the elderly woman had to say. 
Well, one day, the elderly woman points to the fire that's burning in her fireplace. And she used that illustration of those flames and the burning to remind them of the reality of hell. And she encouraged the girls that if they didn't want to go to hell, if they didn't want to go to a place of eternal burning, then they needed to repent and believe on the Lord. And Mary said, that scared her. And she said the imagery of hell that that woman brought before her imagination caused her to start loose and sleep with worry. And she decided it would be better for her to go ahead and make her peace with God. Now, Mary said that it was hellfire that drove her to the kingdom of God. But listen to this. I love this. However, she said that once she was there, she found it to be a kingdom of love, tenderness, and mercy. It was hellfire and the fear of hellfire that drove her to God. But once she was there, she found it to be a kingdom of love, of tenderness, and of mercy. Isn't that a fascinating testimony? Mary herself said that she never used fear and shock to try to bring people to the Lord. Now, um, of course, she was very successful in winning people to the Lord. So the Lord calls us to do different things. And in Mary's case, it was not um, hellfire and brimstone preaching, per se, that Mary used in order to reach the lost. So that's something important to remember we all have our own callings and we all have our own tactics and strategies that the Lord gives us to use. And we need to, I believe, as Christians, respect uh, what the Lord is using others, how the Lord is using others. But moving on, interestingly enough, the church, <laughs> the church that Mary attended was in a building nicknamed heaven and hell. Uh, the first floor was a pub, which they called hell, and the second floor was a church, which was where they got the name heaven. So I thought that was very interesting. And the church she attended still stands in Scotland. Of course, it's no longer um, a church upstairs and a pub downstairs, but the building still stands. Well, because of Mary's father's drinking and the debt that resulted from that, Mary had to start working at the young age of 11, 11 years old. She worked part-time at uh, Baxter's Textile Works. And she would work half of the day and then have school in the afternoon. And... That was working out well. Mary was very bright, a very dedicated student. Then, when she was 14, Mary had to start working full-time. And by full-time, we're talking a 10-hour workday. Now, when Mary would bring home the money she had made at work, her mother could barely stand to spend it. She felt so bad that Mary was having to give up her formal education and work but necessity required it. Well, even though she was working a 10-hour day, and by the way, this was her schedule at that time. She would wake up at 5 in the morning, 
be at the textile mill by six, and work until six that evening with one hour for breakfast and one hour for lunch. Then Mary would go attend classes in the evening because she was that determined to learn. And also, during this time, she became a voracious reader. Mary would read any book she could get her hands on, and any time that Mary was seen out and about, she always seemed to have a book in her hand. She was so caught up with reading that she would a lot of times prop a book up on the loom that she was responsible for at the textile mill. Now, she was very, uh, very good at the work that she did at the textile mill. And this was very uh, complex work. It required a lot of attention to detail. It required speed. It required precision. And it was a little dangerous, but Mary was extremely good at it. Well, work and classes weren't everything to Mary. There was something even more important to Mary than that, and that was the Lord. And as a part of that, Mary was very active in church, starting out as a Sunday school teacher. Now, the church that she and her mother attended was located in the slums. And the Lord put a burden on Mary's heart for the boys that lived in the slum area. And so she started holding church services, especially for these boys. And that required a great deal of nerve and determination. Um... Now, despite the obstacles, uh, Mary did win converts, and she won their respect also. And there's a story that comes from uh, Mar uh, Mary at this time. And she was trying to get some of the young, young boys to go into the, go into the church service, and one of the boys had a like a lead weight on the end of a string, and he started spinning it and spinning it. And he would started spinning it closer and closer to Mary and to her face. And Mary didn't move an inch. She just looked at him. And it comes closer and closer. She doesn't move. And it grazes her forehead, and it leaves a bloody mark behind her. And when it does, that boy drops it. And he looks at Mary, and he walks on into the church service. And he ended up getting saved and having a family and uh, a successful career. And he traced that back to Mary and back to her patience and her compassion that she had. Well, uh, one time one of Mary's young female friends asks Mary for advice on a book to read. I mean, after all, Mary's always reading. And I love this. Mary handed her young friend the Bible and said, Take that. It's made me a changed lassie. Now, when a foreign missions group was established in connection with the church that Mary attended, Mary offered her services to help in any way that she could. And the director was very impressed with this young lady. He was very impressed with her intelligence, her skill, her ability to work with the young boys, her leadership skills. He was very impressed. Now, before we talk about Mary and how she ended up in the mission field, we need to talk about her brothers. Now, Mary had an older brother, Robert, 
and he planned on being a missionary to Africa when they were kids, and he encouraged Mary and told her that he would take her with him. However, Robert passed away before that dream could ever become a reality. And then her younger brother, John, indicated that he wanted to go to the mission field. And as he grew older, he became a blacksmith's apprentice, and his health failed. And so he moved to New Zealand for a climate that would be more conducive to his health, but he passed away just a few weeks after arriving. And that left Mary as the potential missionary in the family. And Mary's mother, she encouraged Mary. She uh, understood that Mary had a call on her life. She understood that Mary had been gifted with special talents and abilities from the Lord. And she didn't have a problem with a female being a missionary. So Mary was more than happy to step up to the plate and uh, be a missionary. Well, as she, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when Mary was born, the Calabar mission in Africa was established. Now, the Calabar region of Africa supplied most of the slaves in Jamaica at that time. And this is what's cool. It was the Jamaican converts that pushed for a mission to be established back in Calabar. And to be honest, Calabar was considered kind of a ghetto area in Africa at that time. And this was in the early to mid-1800s. This is not modern times. This is back in the 1800s. And Calabar is on the western coast of Africa, um, above west central Africa, to kind of give you an idea of where it's at. And the area was such that hardly any white men ever ventured more than a few miles inland to Calabar because of the dangers involved. Um, not always that the people were dangerous. Of course, that could be a problem. A, a foreigner going into uh, another community's property. But also, there was a lot of danger from nature itself in terms of wildlife, uh, in terms of violent rivers, things like that. Well, that is where the Lord intends to send Mary. And she's going to go much further inland than the white men had been venturing into the uh, Calabar region. Well, Mary, as she began to feel that call for the mission field, and she saw that there was the potential for an opportunity, Mary began to work two looms at the mill to get the money to prepare herself for the mission field. She's watching and running two looms at the same time. One loom was hard enough, but two looms... This girl had to have excellent attention to detail and things. Now, she was accepted into the mission field to go to Calabar. Uh, they brought her to Edinburgh at their own expense. The missionary group brought her at their own expense in order to prepare her. And while Mary was preparing, she was invited to speak quite often to ladies' groups. She wouldn't speak to mixed crowds. And one of her sermons, I love this. This was uh, how she ended one of her sermons. She said, Dear women, you must do something with him 
referring to Jesus. You must reject him or you must accept him. What are you going to do? Now that's a pretty good uh, succinct altar call, isn't it? Well, there's a picture of young Mary from this time as she was preparing to go to the mission field. She has on a her hair pulled back uh, into a bun, and you can see some braids there. And she has on a uh, typical 1800s-era dress with a big hoop skirt. And Mary was reportedly a tiny, tiny little thing. And she, you can see in the picture she has a tiny little waist. And one thing you can't see in the picture, of course, it's... Um, not not exactly black and white, but it's not color, is Mary's flaming red hair. And the Lord's going to use that flaming red hair in some very, very interesting ways. And, you know, the interesting thing about her flaming red hair is that did express her personality pretty well. She was passionate, uh, she was fiery, and she was outspoken. Well, young Mary... Uh, is sent off to Calabar in Africa. She traveled on the SS Ethiopia, which was a transatlantic passenger steamship. And Mary commented as she uh, was boarding the ship, she saw them loading it up with alcohol to take to Africa, to trade with the locals. And Mary thought, my, oh my, just one little missionary and so much alcohol. Well, that's going to be uh, a th kind of a theme in Mary's work. You know, her father being an alcoholic, she knew that no good would come of taking that alcohol into Africa. And she said she felt a little overwhelmed by everything, but she knew that the, the Lord was with her. So she heads for Nigeria. She arrived in Calabar. After a long journey of 5,000 miles, and the speed of that ship rarely exceeded 10 miles an hour. Okay, that journey took a little over a month. Can you imagine being on board a transatlantic passenger steamer for a month just trying to get to your destination? Well, uh, Mary said that it was hot. When she arrived in Nigeria, but not too bad, not too bad. Uh, she noticed green, there was green everywhere in this area. There was beautiful trees, beautiful plants, just so much green. Now, as, she, as I said, she said it was hot, but what really got to her, and I understand this as an East Texan, was the humidity. That's what got to her. It was very, very humid. It wasn't a dry heat, but it was a humid heat, which meant that if you started to sweat, your sweat wouldn't evaporate to further cool you off. So your body just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Now, it was very exciting for Mary to set foot in Africa and in places that she and her mother had been praying for since she was a little kid. And she said she was a bit put off by some of the dangerous animals. She's got common sense. She knows there's some things to be afraid of. But she's a missionary now, and she's going to overcome those fears. Now, um, 
An interesting fact about Mary, and I'm going to kind of get a little bit ahead of myself here. You know, I mentioned the picture that they took of her before she went to the mission field. She had her beautiful red hair braided and in a bun at the nape of her neck. She has on a long sleeve, beautiful dress with slightly puffy, just a little bit of puff to the sleeves, not much. She has a belt cinched around her waist. Uh, no doubt a, some type of a corset on under that. And she has a hoop skirt, so she's got... Um, very proper, very European looking. After Mary's uh, been in Africa for a while, she loses the, the hoop, the, um, the slips under that skirt that make it stand out so much. She loses that. She loses the belt that's cinched around her waist. She loses the corset. Um, she loses the fancy shoes. And she even ends up cutting her hair. She said that she probably looked like old Mrs. Hibbert uh, with her billowing, shapeless dress. But it just, the European style of dress just didn't go with living so close to the jungle. And so she adapted uh, where she could remain modest, but she could remain functional. Well, Mary's destination in Calabar in Africa was known as Duke Town and it was located uh, along a river as I said very few white men ventured more than a few miles inland so um, she arrives at Duke Town where the missionary compound is located and there she uh, was reunited with some missionaries that she had met in Scotland they were known as Mammy and Daddy Anderson so uh, first day that Mary arrives, Mammy Anderson takes her on a tour of the compound. And as they're walking along, all of a sudden, Mammy looks up at the sky and she says, Mary, we need to take cover. It's getting ready to storm. And Mary looks at her and, you know, she's young, naive. She says, oh, a few raindrops aren't going to hurt me. And Mammy gives her kind of a dirty look, you know, not necessarily a real nice Christian attitude here. Grabs Mary and jerks her inside of a building there in the compound. And all of a sudden, this storm breaks out. It goes pitch black outside and just rain just pouring and pounding on the, I believe it was the tin roof. And the wind is blowing like nothing Mary had ever experienced. And lightning was flashing. And Mary said, to be honest, she was scared silly. And then when things let up, she looks around and realizes that Mammy Anderson has drug her into one of the classrooms. And her future students are all sitting there grinning at her, very amused at how terrified she was of the storm. That was Mary's introduction to the Calabar region of Africa. Well, later on, she too learns how to recognize the signs of these storms. And, of course, she now understands the enormity and the danger of these storms and knows to take cover and such. And she never again referred to it as a few raindrops that wouldn't melt her. Well, um, so Mary's job at Duketown was to teach school or pretty much to assist since she didn't know the language yet. So those boys <laughs> that she was afraid in front of were her future students so I imagine it might have taken a little while for her to uh, maybe win their respect I don't know but so Mary's first job 
however, on in the missionary compound at Duketown, was to be awake at 5.30 a.m. and ring the bell to wake up everybody else. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I would not be want to be the compound's alarm clock, okay? Well, Mary forgot once. She forgot once, and she was punished by Mrs. Anderson like a child would be. Mrs. Anderson withheld her dinner. Now, I don't think it was right to treat Mary like a child, but, you know, that's what happened. Well, Mr. Anderson, apparently he didn't think this was right either, and so that night he had pity on Mary and smuggled her some tea and cookies to help tide her over until the next day. Well, Mary, being the intelligent, hard-working young woman that she is very quickly, begins to pick up on the language. And she won the kids over very quickly, too, including the boys that saw her absolutely terrified at that storm. You know they had to think that was funny. But she won the kids over. And that's going to be important, too. Uh, Mary is going to have a special ministry with kids. Um, and, again, the Lord put a special love in her heart for those that were oppressed, for those that were orphaned, uh, for those that were in danger. And Mary was willing to risk her own life and safety to help others. Of course, right now, she doesn't have much of a chance. She's acting as a school teacher in uh, the compound at Duketown. Now, let's talk for a minute about the people that Mary was going to be working with. They were known as the Afik people. And they were kind of the middlemen of that area of Nigeria. Anything that was traded, bought, or sold with the Europeans had to go through them. There would be bloodshed. And they had a very complex belief system, a very uh, complex religion. And they had an equally complex justice system in place. And there's a picture that shows Mary with some of the Ifik people. And this was Mary after she kind of shed the European niceties of dress and was dressed practical and had cut her cut her hair and she's there and in the picture there's some little kids around Mary and there's one of them sitting in Mary's lap and in the picture Mary's not looking at the camera but she's looking down at the kiddo with a sweet look on her face and there are some ladies uh very pretty ladies standing next to her the locals and so these were the people that the Lord would have Mary reaching. And she loved these people very dearly. Now, among the Ifik people, they were divided into tribes, and each tribe usually consisted of a single village. So each tribe, which, as far as Mary understood, it was much like a clan in Scotland, was ruled by a king. And the king's they had their own interesting style of dress that had been strongly affected by the Europeans they had been coming in contact with while acting as middlemen. They would wear pinstripe dress pants. Um, a lot of times they would wear a top hat, and that would be accompanied with a leopard skin and no shirt. So that was kind of their style of dress after they had come in contact with uh, the white men. And these kings were very, very powerful men. 
And there was also a system of slavery in place there in Calabar. And oddly enough, and this is interesting, only the slaves were sent to school. The free uh, people, the free men, the free women didn't go to school, but the slaves did. Now, the Afiks also had the equivalent to what we think of in the U.S. as the mafia, okay, the enforcers. And they were called the Egbo Runners. And if someone is listening to this that is from Africa, I sincerely apologize for butchering the names of these places, these people, these terms. I do apologize. I'm from Texas. We mispronounce things really badly. But enough of my disclaimer. Okay, now, the Egbo Runners, the uh, Ifik Mafia, were enforcers who were greatly feared. And they would mete out punishment, especially if they felt like a king was not punishing someone correctly. They would show up and take it into their own hands. And their punishments could be bought off with enough money. But people um, in the area were terrified of them. Even uh, the, the slaves, of course, and even the free people in the area were terrified of these Egbo runners. Well, the Ifik people were caught in a lot of superstitions and fears. And, you know, it's easy for us as uh, Americans or whoever may be listening, uh, it's easy for us to look at them and say, oh, yeah, they're a bunch of superstitious people. We have our own superstitions and our own fears and our own traditions that look equally as ridiculous to other cultures. So... Let's talk about some of the things that they struggled with. Um, when a king died, all his wives would be murdered and buried with him, and many of his slaves and servants. So if you can imagine you're one of uh, man's multiple wives and he dies, you know that's your death sentence too. When his life ends, your life ends. So you can imagine the horror, then, of being a young woman that's married to an elderly man. Uh, twins were feared. The Afik people didn't believe that it was possible for one woman to give birth to two children unless they were the progeny of Satan. And so because of that, uh, they would kill the twins. They didn't know which twin was demonic or influenced by the devil so they would kill both of them and a lot of times they would also kill the mother because obviously she had been uh, she had been having relations with the devil or with a uh, uh, evil power and another thing too is if someone died before they were old it was considered witchcraft and if it was witchcraft, then there was going to be a trial to determine who had put the curse on uh, the deceased. And this trial, it was a trial by poison. Very, very scary thing. Now, each one of these things, the killing the wives when the chief dies, the witchcraft, trial by poison when a young person dies, the murder of twins... Mary is going to step into every one of those cultural 
Uh, I think one of the Ifig women may have kind of referred to it as a cultural bondage. And Mary is going to help them get free of that. She is going to take a stand to keep people from being needlessly murdered and killed. She's going to help rescue those twins. And if no one else will have them, Mary will adopt them and raise them as her own. She's going to help protect women. She's going to help protect the falsely accused. She's going to stand toe-to-toe with that Nigerian mafia when they're meeting out punishments that are cruel and unfair and she'll stand toe-to-toe with them knowing that in an instant they could take her life. That's what what kind of gal Mary is and this is what she's getting ready to go into and even though that uh, Mrs. Anderson is treating her like a child, Mary is called to do some very powerful things. The Lord is going to anoint her to do some very powerful things. And so that's that's it for part one of Mary Slessor. And I hope I hope this has piqued your interest to listen to part two. Like I said, Mary is just so courageous. And she encourages me because a lot of times you look at these people and you think, well, they're fearless. They're not afraid of anything. Like like I said about Darlene Deepler, Rose, in that podcast, she just seemed fearless. But Mary wasn't. Mary was afraid. And when uh, talking and writing, she wasn't admit, afraid to admit that she was afraid. But like the Bible says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And so that's one of the cool lessons that we can learn from Mary's life as we continue to talk about her. So I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and thank you for listening.